0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Joanne Kwai. I'm a PhD candidate at the Department of Geography, Media and Communication at Kölsch University in Sweden. Today, I've invited two colleagues from my department, Professor Henrik Onderbring and Professor Michael Carlson, to talk about their co-authored book, Journalistic Autonomy, the Genealogy of a Concept, published by the University of Missouri Press in 2022. Henrik and Michael, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: I'm very excited to have the opportunity to conduct this interview in person. In this podcast recording studio we have at Cultural University and also holding a physical and signed copy of the book. But before we dive into the book, I would like to begin by some introduction of the authors. So would you please share with our audience, what is your academic background and what led you to your current research interests? Henrik? Yeah,
0: uh, sure. My academic background is that I actually did my undergraduate degree here at Karlstad University. Uh, So I am born and raised here. Then I went to Gothenburg and did my PhD there. Then I moved abroad. I moved to England and I lived and worked there for 11 years. Most of the time I spent at uh, the University of Oxford at the Reuters Institute. And then in 2013, I came back here. And in that time, I've been interested in many different aspects of journalism research, comparative studies of journalism, journalistic work, journalistic professionalism, journalism history, and sort of all of that taken together led me, I think, to the issue of journalistic autonomy or independence. Mm
1: -hmm. Michael?
2: Yeah, I started out at Middlesbrough University at Sundsvall uh, back in the 90s. I did my undergraduate there and my master also. And then I started as a teaching assistant at the department and uh, I was accepted as a PhD student at Lunds University and I got my PhD there in 2006 and I moved to Karlstad in 2008 and I have been here ever since and uh, my research trajectory started out with an interest of uh, how digitalization would impact journalism. And when I did this back in the early 2000s, it wasn't much of an impact, but obviously quite a lot has happened since. And uh, I'm moving away from that sort of starting point and thinking about more of the bigger concepts in in journalism about norms and values and uh, trust, transparency, and with this book also autonomy.
1: Mm -hmm. And speaking about this book, Journalistic Autonomy, shall we begin by a definition of autonomy? What is autonomy and what does it mean in the context of journalism?
0: We usually say that it has like kind of two levels. So autonomy, that's like the fancy scientific way of saying independence. It's on the one hand, it's autonomy on, let's say, like the macro or the institutional level that journalism as a whole, as an institution, as something that a lot of people do should be independent from various outside influences. And then on the micro level or individual level is that the individual journalist should be able to do their job without interference from outside agents. And then you can say that the whole point of the book is sort of discussing this issue of outside agents. Mm. Like who is really, who is outside journalism and what is outside journalism and what is inside journalism because there's some things that journalists want to be independent from and other things that they don't care that they're dependent on if you understand what i'm saying Michael, maybe you can make more sense of this.
2: Yeah, that's uh, the, the definitional issue is something that we have been struggling with a bit. We can't pin it down. So we use the, the independent concept as a sounding board that we depart from. We see autonomy as having both, both elements of independence and dependency. And we are, as Henrik said, more interested in the dependency part of autonomy because you can't be independent from everything. And if you are, you can't have an impact on the environment around you. And that's a a part of journalism's goals is to uh, inform the public in a way it can hold elected politicians accountable. Mm
1: -hmm. And in this book, the chapters are mainly structured by these players or forces or actors. Mm -hmm. Who decided on this and how did you come to these categories?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, because when we started writing this book, and, and Henrik was the, the instigator, so to speak, we thought we were writing another book, and we ended up writing this book instead. So, so this was a, a, a bit in, in the process. We found that this was a way to, to organize it, and, and that coincides with our developed understanding of autonomy one could say
0: yeah just to like maybe a bit more specifically answer your question and sort of go on from what Mickey said the beginning we thought that we would write like a thin kind of definitional guidebook on what journalistic autonomy is like maybe you know like hundred and twenty pages suitable for students and you have the book in front of you it's considerably bigger than 120 pages, right? So it's like, you know, it's like a massive, massive book. Our publishers hated us because it's... Yes,
2: and we uh, have cut 100 pages also. We have cut 100 pages.
0: But anyway, (laughs) uh, when we started out, we thought, so what these actors or forces, how did we come up with them? Well, the first were easy, because a lot of the discussion about autonomy is that, well, journalism should be autonomous or independent from the state. And it should be independent also, in some magical way, from the market. Yeah, That's what a lot of previous mm-hmm. writings on autonomy have focused on. But as we were talking and thinking about it, we realized that sort of independence comes up in relation to like a lot of other societal fields or institutions that have a relation to journalism. For example, you should be independent from the state, but the state isn't quite the same as like political parties or political interest groups. And obviously there's like quite a lot of historical research that shows how important it was that journalists became independent from political parties, for example. And then we realized looking at the ethical guidelines of journalism or like the ethical rules that a lot of those have to do with being sort of very independent on the micro level from the sources like the people that you talk to or interview that they should not be able to sort of dictate the agenda so a lot of things sort of came out of that and then we were discussing sort of more recent issues like technology for example and uh,
2: ai artificial intelligence and and then discovered journalism's ambivalent positions towards technology whereas like the printing press is like a natural and friendly technology why radio was first unfriendly and then was incorporated in journalism and then tv was the threat and then the online was the threat but then become naturalized so and that we think also caused an interesting light on the self-understanding and what it's supposed to be independent from, but actually is dependent on as you look at these processes over time.
1: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this historical perspective. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much hinted in the subtitle of the book, Mm -hmm. The Genealogy of a Concept. Why did you decide to do a genealogy and how did you execute it?
2: Yeah, the genealogy decided to do us, I think. (laughs) it, It came out of our readings. And as Hendrik said before, we thought that we were going to write a very definitional book, but as we tried to unpack this concept, we needed to go back, you know, what was said in the beginning, in the independence of the state, and it wasn't independent at all. And when, when did it become independent? Well, that was when, when there was a market. So it became dependent on the market to become independent from the state, and then it wanted to be dependent from the market and so on. So we needed to go back in history to sort of unpack why we are where we are right now. Obviously in the book, like we, we talk about how
0: genealogy, there's like an everyday understanding of genealogy, which is that you do kind of a family history. Part of our genealogy is that history of the family of journalism, if you will, like journalism contains many things uh, and a lot of these things that journalists should be autonomous from, comes from like actually different parts or different aspects of journalism. And then there's the more theoretical uh, aspect of genealogy, which we of course get from Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, which was then developed by Michael Foucault, Uh, Nietzsche's book, The Genealogy of Morals, which is kind of an attempt to kind of write the history of how morals come about. We thought, uh, you know, why not be, there could be worse things to be inspired by than Nietzsche and Foucault, right? So uh, it kind of went on from there. Yeah,
2: and another thing is that the genealogy approach Allowed us to write in a different way that we usually mm-hmm. write as academics because it's journal articles are you know heavy formatted, a bit stale, so we we use this as an excuse to to be mischievous.
0: <laughs> yeah that is actually true uh, that I don't know how sort of familiar you are with philosophy, but like obviously like Nietzsche is one of the most studied philosophers, so there's quite a lot of people who have written about like his approach to writing. Uh, like a genealogy in like his sense is meant to be provocative, it's meant to be non-traditional it's meant to sort of see things from a different point of view this all sounds, I don't know, very sort of pretentious and Mm high-minded but for us it was really like a working necessity yeah. more or less it was like it like it just as you say in order to like understand what we were even writing the book about mm-hmm. <laughs> we had to go back in time and sort of do it in this way and look at it afresh mm-hmm. if you will
1: yeah and related to that, since you mentioned it was an opportunity for you to almost like mischief which chapter did you had most fun writing
2: oh. well we we were main responsible for different chapters mm-hmm. Some chapters were excruciating to write, but I liked the <laughs> results, and some were more, like, pleasant to write. But I, I think, the, if I if was is, is to pick out one thing, it's the defecating mechanical duck I had the most fun with.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. That was, like, Olmike. But as I said, we were sort of, we took main responsibility for, like, separate chapters, but then in the end like we ended up writing parts of like each other's chapters anyway. So it's a very sort of organic process. Like, I don't know, I sort of have like two favorites that I've worked on a lot uh, where the first one is the like that is about autonomy from the state because I got to sort of geek out and write a lot about obscure Swedish 18th century philosopher Peter Forskål. As Mickey would say, it's very on-brand for me to be like interested <laughs> yeah. in like
2: obscure philosophers yeah. and stuff. It can also reveal it. That those hundred pages that went missing were about <laughs> Pe- Peter Forskol, most of them. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, sadly
0: very close to the actual truth. Uh, yes. Also, the second favorite, uh, since I've been very influenced in my research by these kind of classic workplace ethnographies in journalism the newsroom ethnographies by like a tuckman mark fishman herbert gans it was also very enjoyable to like write the chapter about autonomy in the workplace and sort of get a chance to like revisit or redefine those issues a bit Um, yeah, that, I, was, that, that was fun.
2: Yeah, I can just add that the, 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 the mechanical duck is about technology. That <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to make a clarification on that. Uh, but um, you were saying that this kind of format is very different from the journal articles, mm-hmm. which now I come to understand that you always have to make an argument. Is there any kind of like key arguments you are making with this book or some of the key contributions you would like to highlight?
0: I mean, I think uh, Mickey hinted at uh, the argument at the beginning that a lot of the self-image and self-understanding of journalism comes from understanding journalism as that it should be like cut off from the rest of the world. It's like mm-hmm. independence is when there is no one telling you what to do, there is no, you don't have to care about profits, there is no state censoring you, there are no political parties telling you what to do. That independence or autonomy in the journalistic self-image has been about keeping things out of journalism. But what we want to show is that it's it's really not about keeping things out. It's about sort of negotiating your dependence, because uh, as a matter of fact, journalists are dependent on all these things. They are dependent on the state. They are dependent on the market. So autonomy becomes a way, if you will, of like deciding what level of dependence is acceptable. From whom. Or, and from whom, and in what way. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the contribution that like, maybe we shouldn't, you know, we should talk more about journalistic dependence than journalistic independence. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I would also like to add that in that context, the way we we introduce the membrane instead of walls, I think Mm -hmm. is is a good way to, shortcut to to think about it differently, rather than the wall to keep things out is a membrane that some things through and some things on the outside, and then we can start investigating what gets in and why, and what stays out and why.
0: Yeah, it's a metaphor we get from like biology, basically, that in journalism, the relationship to the outside world has often been described using the term of the wall. There should be like a wall between editorial and the commercial side. There should be like a wall keeping out political influence and so on and so forth. So, you know, like a wall, right? The, the, it keeps things out. And the only way to get things in is to like tear down the wall entirely, right? But just as Mickey said, no, it's, it's not a wall. It's like a cell membrane. A cell membrane lets certain things through and not others and the cell has to have a membrane in order to be separate from its environment but it also needs to let things through because a cell can't function without like oxygen without nutrition and so on and so forth so that's the changed perspective that Mm. we want to contribute
1: Mm And I want to circle back a little bit on the definition of autonomy because you also made this uh, differentiation between autonomous from and mm-hmm. autonomous to, and you had these uh, four propositions mm-hmm. in re- relation to autonomy, like autonomy has to be relational, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it has to have boundary, and it has to be uh, have a purpose, yeah. and it also implies agency. Yes. How did you land it up on these kind of propositions?
2: We needed to go very broad when we read up on autonomy because in most research fields, including journalism, autonomy is a, a god term that's just there and it's good. And you say that autonomy is good and then you move on to discuss something more in in particular. So we read up on a lot of how other fields discussed autonomy and, and the fields that we drew most inspiration from was you know astrobiology when does life start to exist because that's a very definitional thing uh, we also drew some from healthcare and uh, drug studies because when people become addicted to drugs they are not autonomous in the sense that they pursue the goals that they want but they have been like overtaken by an, uh, a force and from that we started to tease out the things that were overlapping in these fields, but also discussing various forms of autonomy, like the the physical autonomy and the mental autonomy, Mm -hmm. and the third, which I can't remember right now.
1: And we're discussing the journalistic autonomy in relation to the state, political interest, market sources, workplace, and uh, audiences and technology. Mm. Do you see any major difference like how journalism has like a, say, higher degree of autonomy, lower degree in relation to this uh, outside forces?
0: I think the whole book is about how this has sort of changed historically mm. and that obviously a lot changed when like the business model mm. of journalism changed it used to be that journalism in, in the literature was described as a sort of a profession uh, of strong autonomy mm-hmm. or like strong professionalism uh, you know comparing to like other professional groups and so on and so forth but as it turns out journalists they you can only be autonomous as long as you make money so mm. <laughs> i think another thing that sort of emerges from this is that journalism actually historically has had sort of a relatively weak and reactive mm-hmm. autonomy rather than a strong one. It has it has been possible to like make it strong, yeah. essentially because they were such successful businesses. And when they weren't successful businesses, then a lot of this kind of strong autonomy disappeared. Like we have a big discussion, for example, about native advertising mm-hmm. and again, referencing the wall that it used to be that it would be completely unthinkable that the sort of marketing or business department of the newspaper should have any influence of the on, over the editorial side. And now it's like routine in many news organizations that these people sit in on the same meetings uh, and they decide things jointly yeah. and so on and so forth. Which is, of course, because, like, they have to. (laughs) Because they have to, like, make money so that they can pay the journalists. But it's just, this used to, it was the very definition of journalistic autonomy that they did not do that. It was, like, totally not allowed. Uh, And now it's not only allowed, but, like, encouraged.
2: Yeah, and unproblematic. And and this change took place over a time period of of 10 to 15 years. Yeah, it just
0: took 10 to 15 years, and then that was gone, essentially. Which is, like, a very rapid historical change yeah. actually.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, I also like that in the beginning of the book you made a disclaimer that you are situated in a Swedish university. Mm-hmm. This book's examples largely draw from the context in the US, mm-hmm. UK and Sweden. Uh, I would like to ask what do you think this kind of uh, Uh, focus on this part of the empirical world has influenced this book and how well do you think journalistic autonomy as a concept Mm -hmm. can travel or translate to other contexts probably less um, liberal democratic
2: yeah Uh, good question Uh, if we start with the first part of the question part of the answer is that while we are aware of our Western-centeredness, also the journalistic field and its norms comes from the Western hemisphere. So I think there is no way of discussing journalists, journalism without taking that into account, and especially a lot of research comes out from the United States and Europe, I would say. so. So it's a natural starting point. But I think that a lot of the spirit in the book is trying to lock up that, or like make it less stale and open up from for other parts as a, as, or other forms of dependency, which does not necessarily follow a Western trajectory. I think I'm not saying that we arrive at like very oppositional standpoint in in terms of how we view journalism or its norms, but I, I think it's maybe like a small step on the way. And
0: I do think again uh it's it's a good point and I've actually been thinking, I haven't told Michael this yet, but uh if we ever have the energy to do a second edition of this book, I would certainly like to write more about like journalism in like totalitarian and mm-hmm. authoritarian regimes. Yeah. Uh which is something that we don't go into very much. But where many of these uh Relationships, mm. uh, not just a relationship to the state, but like also to sources, to mm. the market, to political interests, th- are, is very different. That is something that we sort of, and even we even sort of talked a bit about like having more on it, but like it, we, it was like five hundred pages.
2: Already. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> so we had we had to like save that, and and we we were like U.S. centric for a reason. Uh, in order to like also critique that this is like a us centric
2: field mm. uh, mm-hmm. mm. and, and also could add mm-hmm. just add that when when journalism you know saw the, the the first like kernels of journalism saw the day of light that was in the totalitarian uh context for sure yeah so so the first you know 250 years or so of journalism grew up in a totalitarian context
0: so yeah yeah. like the like monarchy and like you know like religious uh, absolute yeah uh, the age of absolutism as it's called like where you you have this idea that a monarch or a religious authority has absolute power that was the context for journalism for a a long time Mm
1: -hmm. and you mentioned that the change of uh, journalism's business model has uh brought a lot of a uh, different kind of dynamic in changing the journalistic autonomy. And even if we think about just comparing US and Sweden, the business model of journalism is very different. Mm-hmm. So do you have any take on that? Like when in comparison, like how journalistic autonomy manifests differently in these two different contexts, even both situated in the uh, quote-unquote Western democracy?
0: Well, you could certainly see uh, the public service media model or public service news, which historically it's not you know it's not from Sweden but it's historically very strong here and it's like an important part of the media and journalism landscape. You could view that as a that is kind of another way of trying to cope with the issue of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but where you see that okay, in like a small market, the market might not like satisfy. Uh, all the sort of informational needs. Uh, so uh, here, the idea is the opposite, that like the state needs to take some kind of responsibility uh, for doing that with all its attendance problems, mm-hmm. of course. We know as as students of public service in history that it has been likewise sort of paternalistic, that the public service has had trouble dealing with uh, uh, contentious political mm. issues and so on and so forth, but that would certainly be a difference. That's another thing for like when if we're ever allowed to write a book that's like <laughs> bigger, we would also put in more maybe about like public service, which there isn't very much about now. But but particularly public service as a as a way of solving the the autonomy riddle.
2: Yeah, in a, in a different way. In a different yeah. way,
0: not not necessarily a better way, but yeah. like a different way.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, now I have uh, two like, journalists and scholars sitting in front of me. I do want to ask, based on this book or your years of uh, experience researching this field, what do you think, in your opinion, journalism as an institution should be like? I feel like there is an uh, implied normal ideal sure. we're trying to achieve. Do you have... Uh, I do image of what journalism should be like as an institution, I guess.
2: Not really.
0: Well, no. I was, that was interesting, not really, but I was <laughs> gonna say I certainly have. So okay, that's yeah. why I <laughs> make, yeah. Yeah, but
2: okay, uh, Maybe, should I start then, it doesn't I, have a, Yeah, what? you can start. Yeah. yeah, all right. In the end chapter, we make an like, sort of argument, but I'm not primarily interested in journalism. I'm interested in what constitutes a good information environment for a democracy to work. For that, you know, journalism can have a role, or it can uh, it can not have a role, and maybe not even journalism. That's the most important institution. Maybe it's like the schools instead, or the educational institution. So, so I don't. I'm, I'm happily leaving the the uh, the ideal model to other people. So over to you, Henrik.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Because I think. One thing that became increasingly evident to me while writing this book is that in order for journalism to like have this democratic role that we will hope that it would have uh, then journalism need to much more explicitly grapple with its own role in uh, basically maintaining social inequality and social injustice. Uh, you know, not just that, you know, well, journalists, they like their watchdogs and they like, uh, you know, can topple politicians and like be critical of government and so on and so forth. But th- And here's here's actually an advantage of looking at the U.S. case because I think in the U.S. case it's obvious that not only has journalism often failed to do that, but journalism has sort of actively helped and actively supported an unjust society. Like I am thinking particularly of the issue of like racial in- racial inequality in the U.S., which is also something that we write about in the mm-hmm. book that like, you know, newspapers in the south in the us historically supported lynchings like <laughs> did not write about uh, the civil rights movement uh, actively tried to like smear civil rights leaders and so on and so forth and as long as journalism doesn't grapple with that past that they don't have this like brilliant sort of self-image as mm. defendants of democracy that they've actually news organizations have at times helped support an unjust social order and so and the normative conclusion there is that but journalism shouldn't do that yeah <laughs> like it it shouldn't support an unjust social order
2: yeah well, we could put it in another way it has, it has been pretty poor at times at uh, achieving the goal it has set out for itself. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I also find this very interesting. I recall from the chapter when you mentioned uh, journalist autonomy and in relation to the sources. Mm-hmm. So, we always say journalism has to be balanced and include all mm-hmm. kinds of uh, voices. But journalists um, at certain time had to justify to include black voices, and mm-hmm. because it's. Uh, not considered neutral Mm -hmm. in a setting that is uh, racist. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's very stimulating to think about that, like who defines what even is neutral. And these kind of uh, rules and norms are written into the journalistic guidelines and codes that they have. Mm. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) uh, I would like to also ask, because we been hearing about the institutional crisis of journalism, mm. and uh, I almost got a hint from what Michael was saying that journalism as an institution—do you think it is worth preserving or saving? <laughs> I,
2: I, I think it's worth <laughs> worth preserving the function it claims to have. Uh huh. Yeah. But but I, and and I would like to say that I I think it's quite obvious that journalism is retreating from that function uh, and not only by its own terms but b- because journalism is shrinking in its reach. Mm. So less people are you know, bothered by journalism because they don't want to pay for it. So even though the institution is performing in a sufficient way, it is of less relevance than it used to be like 10, 20, 30 or 40 years ago.
1: And if we are to facilitate a better informational environment for democracy, Mm -hmm. what do you think can be done within journalism and outside of journalism?
2: Good question. I I think, first of all, what the book points out is that journalism needs support by other institutions. Mm -hmm. And it has been so throughout the the history. And, And when other institutions are trying to hinder journalism, they are quite successful in doing so. So that's one thing. It's it, j- Journalism's problem is not for journalism to solve itself. Uh, so that's one thing. And another thing I think is a point of the book is, while we are happy to point out what journalism should do, but in our definition of autonomy, journalism and journalists need to self-find out what their goals are, because that's a part of autonomy, to pick out a goal and methods to achieve that goal. So even though, you know, politicians and and researchers and citizens are criticizing journalism, to be autonomous, they need to to figure out what they want to do and try to achieve that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, Sort of just to continue what uh, Mikke said, uh, that it's, you know, if politicians of like many different political camps like decide that journalism is not to be trusted Mm -hmm. and says that journalism is not to be trusted and so on and so forth, then it's like very difficult for journalism to defend itself, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, So some of the things of like how journalism should be is like an unfortunately outside the power of journalism mm. to do anything yeah. about like the it needs the support of other societal institutions and if the political sphere doesn't like fully support journalism it's going to be very difficult however in terms of like what should journalism do in relation to the thing that i said before about like journalism being complicit in an unjust social order then one thing that journalistic organizations or news organizations certainly can do is to make much more of an effort to be more diverse. Like that's actually something that journalism can do Mm -hmm. that, you know, in terms of like hiring practices and so on and so forth, just as like one, you know, At one point in time, you know, women were not allowed in the newsroom, they couldn't work as journalists. Then uh, they came into the newsrooms and could become journalists and, you know, journalism was all the better for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just as journalism has sort of gotten better, better at actually reflecting society, the more diverse it has gotten. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of trying to continue to do that, because that is something that will help journalism, I think, fulfill the values it has set itself. Mm -hmm it's not necessarily not on one on the one hand like diversity is like an important value in and of itself but it also has an instrumental character to it that this you know this will actually help journalists uh, be more truthful uh, be more fair be more you know neutral mm-hmm. if you will uh, so so that would be one thing that I think that's within the power of news organizations to change. Yeah, that's something that they can do.
1: Mm-hmm. What about the public, the so-called journalists are serving the public interest? From the public's perspectives, is there anything they can do? Well,
0: you
2: you've done more research on this and what the public thinks, Michael. Yeah, what the public thinks is one thing. What they should do is another thing. For uh, sure, but but I think they should, you know, pay su- subscription subscription fees. And, and watch journalism when it's good because it's not always good. Uh, so I think that's the role of the public to set aside that little amount of money and, and that amount of time that it's needed to keep up with the current events. Mm.
1: So it's use the power they have as consumers yeah to reward journalism yeah.
2: and as citizens to you know raise issues that they find important things like that and and actually if politics supports journalism if the market supports journalism sources do it the public does it then it's you know easier to be yeah. a good journalist and, and fulfill the goals that you have but if everyone is tearing on you it's, it's more difficult and what the point with autonomy is that you should be able to be autonomous even if times are ha- hard otherwise you are not autonomous then you're just following the stream
1: Mm -hmm. I understand. So I have taken uh, much of your time and have this one last question. Uh, Would you please share with us what are some current projects you're working on, Henry?
0: So when writing this book, the autonomy book, as I said, one thing that started to interest me more and more was this sort of legacy of racial injustice in in US journalism in, in particular. And so I am currently now writing a biography of uh, Thelma Burlach Boozer, who was a noted black journalist, a journalist in the black press, in during the sort of heyday of the black press between like 1925 and 1945. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was also the first black person in the US to be a professor of journalism and lead the School of Journalism at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. So I'm writing about her life and her journalism uh, as a way of like highlighting these issues of like race and like black and white in journalism. Mm-hmm.
2: Michael? Yeah, I after we wrote this book, I wrote a, an, another book that was about uh, transparency. So that, that was actually came out before this book, the, the process was a bit uh, faster and now i'm just beginning in a research project together with my colleagues here at costa university cornelia Branter and elizabeth van Kubering, and raul ferrer cornel at stavanger university and we are looking at the infrastructure of the media the nordic media systems and try to figure out what kind of different actors and organizations that are involved in that to see the the, the foundations of the public sphere what one could say
1: mm. Thank you so much again for being here today and uh, I look forward to reading more of your research outputs and especially welcome you back to the New Books Network when the new books are out. And to our listeners, you can find links to connect with Henrik, Michael and me and also to the book in the show notes. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next time.